Home is where we can smash faces. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. When our kids were little, I found myself a little bit tired of making lunches. Same thing, day in, day out. I was just bored. So I started mixing it up a little bit. I mean, sometimes we go to McDonald's or Arby's or something, but I don't even mean that. Other times I would just say, hey, let's eat dessert first and work our way backwards. Other times I'd make the food into like little creations like tractor cheese, which was just slicing up cheese, arranging it on the plate to look like a tractor and use round crackers for wheels. We'd stack up food. Sometimes I'd put dry cereal in bowls and the kids would eat it right out of the bowls on the floor like they were puppies. Some... That sounds weird right now out loud. I didn't make them do it. And I said puppies instead of dogs because that sounds a little bit cuter. Other times we would just take our normal lunches and eat them in different parts of the house. Like I remember a few times we'd line up on the stairs. We'd each have a different step and we'd eat there. Other times we'd eat under the table instead of at the table. Or sometimes we'd put out a blue blanket. The kids would get their swimsuits on. We'd pretend the blue blanket was water. And then we'd put our bleach blankets around our (laughs) beach beach blankets, not bleach. We put our beach blankets around it. We pretended we were on a picnic. Sometimes I would just send food up in buckets up to the kids' treehouse. Sometimes, however, we would eat Humpty Dumpty. That was one of the kids' favorites. Our kids loved Humpty Dumpty quite specifically and loved Mother Goose and all kinds of other nursery rhymes in general. They loved the crooked man who walked a crooked mile, who found a crooked sixpence against a crooked style. I'm pretty sure they didn't know what all those words even meant, but they definitely attached themselves to the word crooked. And we would search and search and search sometimes until they found crooked sticks they would carry around as they'd walk at a slant, honestly, for days. They'd do this until they'd move on to something new, like maybe Wee Willie Winky. At which point they'd wear pajamas and sneak around the house or tiptoe around outside singing, Wee Willie Winky runs through the town, upstairs and downstairs in his nightgown, wrapping up the windows, crying through the locks. And they'd say, are the children in their beds? For it's past eight o'clock. I actually think like most nursery rhymes, this has some greater meaning and it relates somehow to King William, but we didn't know any of that. We just put up with a phase that included kids wanting to wear pajamas every day around town and sing the song. We did not let them rap at people's windows or cry through any locks. We had some sense of propriety, usually. One afternoon, I remember watching one of our boys staring up at a woman intently while we were waiting in line to check out at a grocery store. His gaze was like focused on her, more like fixated. I could tell he was thinking something, but I didn't know quite what, which made me nervous. So I tried to divert his attention. Hey, do you see that family over there? It looks like they're buying cereal too. Like, who cares? It didn't work. Or can you count how many carts you see? I see, let's see, one, two. He didn't break the gaze. Nope. I even even pointed out the candy at the checkout that I usually try to like set a pick in front of. I was like, look at all that candy. Can you imagine? We'd get so sick if we ate all of it. He didn't care. He didn't even look. So I just kept wondering what he was thinking. 
until I didn't need to wonder anymore. In fact, nobody needed to wonder. He spoke. He actually shouted. He shouted over the cart and over me to his twin brother on the other side. Doesn't she, he said as he pointed, doesn't she remind you of Gregory Griggs, he said. His brother didn't say yes. Instead, in unison, they both began to sing, Gregory Griggs, Gregory Griggs, of 57 different wigs. He wore them up, he wore them down to please the people of the town. He wore them east, he wore them west, but he never could tell what he loved the best. Gregory, Gregory, Gregory Griggs. You might be thinking, how were they able to finish the whole song? Did they really finish the whole song? They really finished the whole song. So you might ask, why didn't you tell them to stop? Well, here's why. Because I could not. I was laughing and frozen. I was trying to keep myself from laughing, that nervous laughter, that laughter where you're like, I know I should not stop, laugh right now. And I was stopped dead in my tracks. I don't know if the lady laughed. I actually never even looked at her. Just before they left the store, though, I kind of took a glance just to see. But back to the Humpty Dumpty lunches. She didn't laugh. And it, anyway, she didn't laugh. Uh, back to the Humpty Dumpty lunches. Here's what we would do. Nothing fancy. I would just give the kids a lunch that it would include a hard-boiled egg. I would draw a face on it, sometimes a goofy face, sometimes sort of normal, sometimes a man, sometimes a woman, sometimes colored hair with eyebrows, or sometimes a bow. Often, though, just two eyes, a nose, and a smile with a black Sharpie because that's all I had fi could find and all I had time for. Each kid would take turns cracking their egg while they would sing. Humpty Dumpty sat in a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. At this point, they'd drop their egg on the ground. They'd pick it up. They'd show it to all of us while they brought the song home with all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Did you ever wonder what that rhyme meant? I didn't. I probably... Didn't even need to at this point. But actually, as I was writing this podcast, I started getting curious. And then I started on the rabbit trail of pretty serious research. I won't share with you all of it, but suffice it to say, the rhyme was first printed in 1810. It became famous. It was when it was first printed. It became famous through Lewis Carroll's book, which is where we would probably all be familiar with it, Alice Through the Looking Glass, where you see this illustration of Humpty Dumpty as a round egg. But the recitations of the poem they could find were much further back. Some said Humpty was supposed to be King Charles of England, the first, King Charles I, and his fall was when he was overthrown by the Puritan majority in Parliament. The king's horses and men, the Cavaliers, never regained power, and eventually King Charles was executed, so couldn't be put back together again, right? Some say, no, 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 Humpty was King Richard III in the fall reference when he was defeated at the Battle of Bosworth, of which I know pretty much nothing about. Some say Humpty referenced a cardinal named Wolsey from Henry VIII era, who also died. One idea that came up most frequently and in many different references had the probably the most, this is probably it, attached to it, said that Humpty Dumpty was actually a cannon you know, like a shoot out of it, a cannon. A cannon was huge, it was heavy, and it was hard to move. So the soldiers back in the day in the 1600s nicknamed it Humpty Dumpty, which was a moniker people were using back then for people that were large, which isn't nice, but it's part of the story. So what happened was this, people say, in 1648, during the siege of Colchester, soldiers put a cannon on top of a church that was named St. Mary's by the wall, so we get the picture. It was pretty close to the wall. They put the cannon on top of it, and their intent then was to fire outside of the city walls at the approaching enemy so that they could protect the people who were living inside the city. This battle between the royalists 
and the parliamentarians had been going on for quite a while. Nobody was giving up and nobody was winning. The royalists were the one in the city. Eventually, the arm in the outside decided to shut the people up inside their walls and block all the roads that would lead in, hoping to starve them so they couldn't get supplies delivered anymore. In time, historians say the people got so hungry they ended up eating candles and pets, which kind of freaked me out. Eventually, what happened was a shot from the parliamentarians, who I said again were outside of the city, hit the church tower and the wall that the cannon had been resting on. So the wall, the tower, and the cannon all came crashing down. The royalists, making up the army inside, otherwise known as the king's men, tried to lift Humpty Dumpty up to another part of the wall, but they couldn't because the cannon was so heavy and it was so large. So even with all those king's horses and all those king's men, they could not put Humpty together again. My kids did not know the story. And as I said, neither did I until just a few days ago. They were not concerned about cannons and kings. They only cared about whose face looked the funniest after it got smashed. We had a problem developing during our Humpty Dumpty lunches. Here was it. There was inconsistency in our cracking. We tried different things. Once, the older boys tried throwing them down as hard as they could. Exactly what you thought happened right there did. That was not a good plan. Eventually, after lots of trial and lots of error, we decided we would find out the thing that would give us the most consistency in the cracking, yet left the egg intact and able to be eaten. We came upon this. The kids would stand up on the table, giving themselves more height, at which time they were allowed to hold the egg as high as they could in the air. Then they would just open their hand and let it drop. No force was given. They just opened their hand and let it drop. The egg would gather just enough speed on the way down that the crack was significant enough to warn oohs and ahs from the inspectors around the table, but the egg was still able to be eaten. One day, I loaded up the younger two kids in our van as we were headed towards school to pick up the older two after kindergarten. I got in the car line and I inched my way forward. Eventually, I saw the row of kids, but I didn't see my boys anywhere. Instead, someone from the office that was in the line came around to my window, assuring me everything was great, but asked if I could come in for a second. So, of course, I did. The principal directed me to the kindergarten room. I had my two younger kids in tow. I walked in and I looked over at my boys. They didn't look hurt. They didn't look sick. They didn't look scared. They didn't look sorry. They were just chilling. I looked over at their teacher who I loved, still do. She was amazing. Our kids adored her. She didn't look mad or upset either. She just looked like she had something to say. She started, I just wanted to talk to you about something that happened today. While we were eating lunch, I had a little situation with your guys. First of all, I want to say, I love that you send your kids such interesting lunches, but when they got their eggs and opened them up, they actually took them, they stood up on the table, and then dropped them onto the floor while they sang Humpty Dumpty. Of course, she said, that in itself wouldn't bother me because kids do all kinds of crazy things, don't they? That's what I love about teaching kindergarten, she said. But the thing is, when I talked to them about proper behavior and asked, was this something that you would do at home? They both said, yes, we do it all the time, and so does our mom. I just wanted you to know that because we really want to encourage honesty in our class. I remember her hearing her say all those things, and I remember standing there at a total loss for words. 
Suddenly, what days earlier seemed so normal and fun seemed now like a really bad idea, and I started hesitating. What should I do? Should I throw the boys under the bus? Should I look at them and start correcting them for lying? Because seriously, what mom would ever let her kids stand on tables and smash eggs on their floor? Should I do that? But then I realized I can't do that because I know there was at least one mom who would, and there's probably a lot others too. I just hadn't met them. And clearly this is now inappropriate at school. This just doesn't seem right. And I was going through all these things and decided I will just take this high road that has a couple bumps in it, but whatever. Oh, right. I started saying, actually, as weird as this is about to sound, and I'm truly, I'm not just saying this to stick up for my kids. I'm just letting you know that we actually do stand on our table at home and crack our eggs on the floor. I mean, only our hard-boiled ones and only if they have Humpty Dumpty faces on them. It's just that before they couldn't get really good cracks on his face when they dropped it from such a short distance. And it be- beat like slaying him down. So we started standing on the table and I just kept talking. She didn't look aghast or anything. She didn't look angry. Maybe a little incredulous. <laughs> Maybe a little relieved. I kept talking. I know I ended my speech with, I totally now can see though that this is a bad idea and super inappropriate at school because what if everybody brought in eggs or what if everybody just decided to pretend everything they brought in was Humpty Dumpty so during lunch they'd stand up and just start smashing everything on the floor. I will definitely tell my kids that they should only smash eggs at home and if I pack them again, I just won't draw faces because that's our family rule. You can only smash eggs if they have faces on them. I'm not sure how the rest of the conversation went because suddenly having a family rule that sounded like you can only smash eggs if they have faces on them sounded ridiculous. I do know I was still allowed to take my children with me and we all piled in the van. I do know that on the way home, I waxed eloquent about how some things that are fun and appropriate at home might be inappropriate at school. I remember wondering if that was even true. And then I remembered wondering what other things I'm doing now that might show up somewhere else and seem super odd. As we pulled into the driveway, I heard one of the kids say, well, we're home now where we can smash faces whenever we want. Yep, I said, yes, we are. Obviously, I'm not making a plaque to sell at Hobby Lobby again. I'm not going to cross stitch a pillow with this phrase. Home where we can smash faces. But I do love the sentiment, less the where we can smash faces part, more the, well, we're home now. The sense of at home is where we can be ourselves, which is how God wants us to feel with him. He wants us to relax in his presence and to know we can be ourselves and be real. He wanted to hear me say that day as I did, Lord, I have a feeling this is not going to be the first time I'm going to end up talking to a teacher, nor is it going to be the first time I second guess myself as a mom. I think I'm going to need some help in these upcoming years. And today I need assurance of your presence and peace. I need to be confident that you're going to continue to lead me because until Revelation 21.3 is a reality, it seems like there's a lot of life to live and a lot of experiences that are ahead of me where I might just really screw up. In the meantime, while I wait for, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as they're gone until that's my home. There's going to be more opportunities where I stand with egg on my face and a loss for words. Please, God, thank you. Thank you that you understand me, that you know me, that you made me, that you invite me to walk with you and talk with you. And on another note, there might come a time, if it hasn't happened already, where you might feel like Humpty Dumpty himself. 
There might be a time when you've had a great fall and feel cracked and injured. You might feel like all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put me back together again. And you will be right. They cannot. But there is one who can. Life is hard. We live in a fallen world where people disappoint us and we disappoint ourselves and we disappoint other people. We are all left with wounds and scars and people cannot put us back together. We need to know the truth. And the truth is God doesn't want us to be wounded. He is saddened by the way our fallen world itself is cracked and in need of repair. And he is at work working out his plan to bring redemption and healing to us and to his world. And in the meantime, until we get to that Revelation 21 place where we dwell in person with God and he dwells with us, we would do well to recognize that people cannot heal our wounds and power cannot heal our hurts. Prestige and connections can't fix what is broken. Our deep needs, the ones that inspire our dark thoughts, our panic, our bad behaviors, our unhealthy coping skills. These deep needs cannot be healed even with all the king's horses and all the king's men. Instead, we need to cling to the king himself. We need to call on his name and trust that he can heal. He heals the brokenhearted. He bandages their wounds. Together, let us call on the name of the Lord and be saved. 